Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the All Day Jazz Podcast. I'm your host, Matthias, and today I have with me Karen Geldart. She's a Dita Healing Practitioner. We're going to talk about Dita Healing, obviously. We're going to compare Dita Healing with hypnosis and timeline therapy. We're going to discuss all those things. We're going to discuss how our mind gives meanings to things. The seven plane of existence, how animals and even plants are sentient beings, and why sports are using alternative therapies. We're going to talk about prior agreements through the lifetime, uh, her understanding of karma, and how we can alter prior agreements with the use of theta healing. Ooh, this and much more in today's podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the new episode of All That Jazz. I'm your host, Matyash, and today I have with me Karen Geldart. Welcome to the show. Thank you. This is take two. We're going to succeed this time. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, um, I wanted to ask about, um, actually, uh, I wanted to introduce the audience how I met first Karen. We went to, it was at, uh, I think University of Toronto had a, a hypnosis workshop and uh, the second uh, workshop that I took with uh, Georgina Cannon I think uh, that's where I met you Karen and then the mm-hmm. third one was I don't know if you were there no you were not there in a past life regression sorry I always no. M- no you were there in the second one right because it was a big big class I remember that and then after the class, we did some things, some Tita healing stuff, and the first night it kind of freaked me out. And then Deborah, at home, she, um, which was the lady that rented the house to me, she's like, uh, "Oh, it doesn't sound too bad." And so the next day we did some more work. So that's that was my short introduction, very intense to Karen's work, and um, yeah, it was very interesting and. Uh, and because you were also doing the the muscle testing, I remember you were doing the muscle testing like as the the whole body, like falling forward and falling backwards as well, right? Yeah, there are different ways that you can do muscle testing, or um, some people call it applied kinesiology. Yeah, so there's different ways, and different techniques um, may work uh, better for some people than others. Right. And, and that day you also did something that freaked me out, which is you tested as my energy. And I remember feeling like uh, a tingling sensation. And that's what freaked me out that day. But it's all good now. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's go to the beginning. So um, uh, did you start with spiritual stuff early in life or was it something you started on later? For me, it was definitely later. Uh, I was well, well, not well, but I was into my 40s for sure. Um, at the time, it was probably back in 2012. And I was, I, I've always been a seeker. You know, I, books were always really important to me. Reading was important, learning new things. And I, back in 2012, found myself in a, 
a place where I was working in a real estate company, writing a lot of real estate contracts, and I kept thinking that that really wasn't where I was supposed to be, when I wasn't what I was supposed to be doing in life, because if I wanted to do that, I would have gone to law school. And I actually had uh, completed a master's degree in counseling some years before, ended up working in higher education in universities doing more student services and support work, not necessarily one-on-one counseling. Um, but back in 2012, as I said, I was kind of looking for a new path, uh, looking for a new direction mm-hmm. in life. And a friend of mine, a good friend, introduced me to numerology. She was someone who every year would get her numerology chart done. And, you know, it was really um, something that she put a lot of stock in and convinced me that it would be a great Christmas gift for myself to purchase um, my numerology chart, which I did in 2012. And that really opened a lot of doors to me to um, basically a whole new world, a whole new dimension of thought that, that I really hadn't come across before. I wasn't someone who, well, I was someone who grew up in the Catholic Church and kind of, you know, had various levels of participation on and off throughout my life mm-hmm. and uh, wasn't someone who really believed in past lives or knew a lot about spirituality other than what I associated with the faith that I had been brought up in. So this was kind of a whole new world to me, and um, it was it was very interesting. You know, it it made a lot of sense the reading or the chart that I got back, in terms of talking about my life path. Um, I have a life path number nine, which is so the humanitarian or the healer, someone who wants to to help others, and I, that really did resonate with me because that is something that I've. I've uh, been interested in throughout my life is uh, doing some some meaningful work with people in terms of of helping them and yeah so that was but it was interesting because in the 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 cd-rom that i got with all of the information on it uh, you know the woman who did my chart talked a lot about you know that in numerology there's a belief that we choose before we come into this world we choose the the day the month the year of our birth we choose our parents and and we choose all of these things because the the resonance or vibration in terms of numerology is what we think as souls will be beneficial to us in this lifetime in terms of learning the lessons that we want to learn. Mm. And yeah, so it was it was a pretty big eye opener for me at the time. And just after that, I started studying pretty intensely some different modalities Um hypnosis, timeline therapy, neuro-linguistic programming, and also theta healing, which you mentioned earlier. Yes, we did. um, uh, Karen also worked with me uh, for quite a long time, and and I found it really beneficial um, when we did uh, work. Uh, And uh, timeline therapy, I do remember, because it was something we, especially early on, it was going through the... um, is basically going to the source of the problem. Is that right? Going where yeah. it originated. Yeah. So timeline therapy, it's sort of a semi-hypnotic technique where it's all about working with the unconscious mind. So, um, you know, a lot of the, well, actually all of the work that I do, the various modalities, it's it's all about working with the unconscious mind. Some people call it the subconscious mind to get at 
um, different negative emotions that we might be holding on to that might be impeding our progress or um, also very importantly any limiting beliefs that we might have about ourselves or the world around us that really i mean if you believe and i do that we create our own reality our reality is created through the information that we hold in our unconscious mind so if we want to you know if we're not getting the results that we want to be achieving in life uh, it's highly likely that there's some kind of unconscious belief or program that we're running in the background that is affecting how we view the world and how we interact with the world. So hmm. timeline therapy works with the, the person's unconscious mind to help identify a root cause of either a belief that they're holding on to or um, a negative emotion they're holding on to. So if you, if you take the example of a negative emotion, like anger, you know, if someone is feeling like um, you know, they're having a hard time, their anger is present in their life a lot of the time, and maybe they're easily triggered and they're really not sure what all of that is about. In timeline therapy, we would say that the person is holding on to unresolved feelings of anger from the past because the unconscious mind, you know, when something happens in our life, it's and a lot of these things are, are picked up between age of zero and seven years old. You know, um, if you can imagine maybe a, a little uh, sort of like a metaphysical backpack that you have on from the moment you're born. Sure. And if something happens in your life and say that the backpack is labeled anger. So you might be six months old and, and you're, you know, you're hungry and no one's coming to feed you. And so that, you know, your little body gets upset or angry. So you, if you think about putting a few rocks in there that would represent anger, um, you know, maybe a year later, something else happens and it's pretty major. So you put a bigger rock in there or maybe it's not as big. So there's a handful of sand. And because the unconscious mind is always trying to learn and its major role is to protect us from harm and to keep us safe, mm -hmm. it wants us to learn from the experiences that, that we encounter in life and try to mitigate those in the future or mitigate the, um, you know, the negative consequences. So it will hang on to learnings from those events, uh, but it can sometimes also hang on to the negative emotions from the events because it feels like that might be helpful in, in the learning. Um, mm. But old emotion really is just old energy, right? It doesn't really serve us in the present. So with timeline therapy, the idea is to empty all those rocks out of the backpack so that you're feeling a lot lighter because we don't just carry around one backpack. We have all kinds of negative emotions that we could um, carry around with us that really energetically can weigh us down if we're carrying right. around old old emotions right the and there's also from a previous lifetime maybe baggage mm -hmm. it's not just exactly. this lifetime right yeah yep so timeline therapy works with the client to help them identify the root cause so you know where did this originate and it leads the person through a series of questions and they don't make sense on a conscious level but they're designed to get a response from the unconscious mind so you know you would ask the person you know so what's the root cause of this event the you know, the meaning of which if we could pull it would, would cause this problem to disappear. And so you would ask the client, was it before, during, or after your birth? And you, you don't want them thinking consciously about it. You just want the first thing that pops into their mind. So right, it could right. be, yeah, it could be in the womb. It could be from a past life. It could be something in this lifetime. Um, and also it could be, uh, like you mentioned before, it could be uh, something that we agreed to uh, before the lifetime. Like... Um, 
Winston Churchill famously said uh, in a book, uh, I think it was his first biography, he said, um, and it still puzzles me, he said that he thought that free will and predetermination are the same thing. And uh, let's say in his case, maybe it was, uh, maybe he uh, decided uh, before the lifetime that he's going to become a prime minister. So everything that he was doing in his life was just preparing him for that moment for the Second World War where he was, you know, charging the battle against the Nazis or, and defending England. So it could be that, could be, could not be just a belief system, but, but could be a decision that you don't even recall in the, from before the lifetime, you know? Yeah, that's, that is uh, very, very true or very possible. Um, I always tell people, I don't know for sure. You know, these are things that I might believe be based on what I've seen in my personal experience or things that I've read or things I've heard from other people. Um, you know, between lives, there there are some people who believe that we we plan our next lifetime and we might make agreements, soul contract or soul agreements with other individuals, often from our soul family. Um, you know, we make agreements with these people to help them learn things. Mm -hmm. We ask them to help um, us learn certain things. And we can definitely uh, chart a course for our life um, before we arrive. Um, I do think, so I do, you know, I, I can see where he's coming from with that quote, and it kind of makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but I also think that sometimes when we arrive in this lifetime, things may not uh, be turning out exactly as we thought they would but when we planned them before we right. came. And so the, in terms of whether or not we have free will, uh, we always have free will. And even if we did make agreements on a, a soul level or agreements we're not consciously aware of, if we become conscious of them, then it's my belief that we can alter those agreements in, um, in a way that it works out for the highest good or for our highest good for sure. Um, because we, you know, we might make decisions from a certain level of awareness or understanding, but um, when we arrive in this this classroom, if you want to call it that, on Earth, mm -hmm. um, things could be a little different. We could run into other situations that we didn't anticipate. I don't believe that, you know, it's it's like there's an eighty year, or, you know, there's a a movie that spans our eighty years or however long we we intend to be here. Uh, where every minute of every day is scripted. You know, there right, might be general right. themes or things that we want to learn um, and, and different players that we uh, tap to help us learn those things. But yeah, that's that's kind of the way that I see things. Um, I do also think that we've been here many times before, a lot of us. And so we've had a lot of opportunities to learn these lessons oh, more than once probably. So I do think there is a point at which um, we can evolve and progress to the point where we don't have that need to, to keep returning or coming back. Right. Well, why do you think there is um, that human beings or the soul of, uh, of us is so slow in learning that we need constantly fail over and over again before we learn a certain lesson? What's the purpose of that? Well... <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I knew. And I think I think part of it is a program that a lot of us are running around suffering and a belief that um you know that there is suffering through lear you know, learning through suffering and 
that's somehow overcoming suffering. I don't know. It might, um, you know, be a, a, sign, a mark of um, spiritual progress, but I, I don't really believe that that is the truth or the divine truth. I kind of feel like, um, yeah. It's, right. So just because we're in between lives doesn't mean we have all of the knowledge of the right. universe, right? It doesn't mean that we're a hundred percent. Yeah. Of that. It, yeah. So or maybe a soul, who knows? or maybe a soul decides to uh, to experience out a lot of the things that they inflicted out. Let's say, for example, because um, in the past there was a lot of people that that killed a lot of people. So how would you um, how would you undo that, or how would you learn some of the lessons if not for to have a really uh, maybe a horrible lifetime where you're disabled or some kind of uh, other thing that's not uh quote-unquote normal but that that maybe the soul chooses to experience out some lesson that it has to to learn let's say so what exactly is the question you know why would we do yeah that? i guess i guess uh do you think there's some value in in um there must be like before the the birth takes place there must uh, the soul must have guides so they must have you know there must be a reason why they select a uh, you know a life as a as a cripple or a life as a uh, a person that cannot hear or or see you know yeah i mean i do think that there are well i think the soul believes that there are reasons um I, I personally am looking forward to getting past the point where I feel like I need to come back and learn those things because as someone who believes that I have been here many, many, many hundreds of times, I have learned those lessons. It's time to move on and progress past this, um, you know, this recycling center for the soul, I guess, is the way that I see it. Um, but that's just me personally. And yeah, I mean, it, I... I think what you were when you were speaking earlier, it kind of brought up for me the the concept or the issue of karma. You know, so some people would maybe believe that if I did X, Y, and Z in a per, in a particular lifetime, then then that means you know that there's some I owe something to somebody, or you know if I've done wrong, then that has to be balanced in the universe. And and you know there are lots of people who who for whom that is their belief system. I, I don't really see karma that way. Um, Deepak Chopra, I actually like his his uh, interpretation of karma, which is basically that karma is just energetic patterns that kind of keep repeating themselves. And and it's not necessarily a, a system of universal judgment, you know, in terms of right or wrong or punishment or, you know, who's virtuous and who isn't. It's, um, it's more these patterns that we get into in believing that you know we want to experience certain things as a soul or yeah. could be a, maybe just a lesson that you're stuck in this pattern so you need a maybe a different lesson right yeah and so sometimes the soul will think oh you know i have this this list of lessons that i want to learn but uh it just it doesn't get those learnings and so you were talking earlier about theta healing and one of the aspects of theta is uh to ask to be given those lessons or shown those mm -hmm. lessons from the perspective of the creator of all that is so that we don't need to keep repeating the same patterns of behavior over and over that we can get those lessons and, and, um, 
Right. And hopefully retain how, it. How did you uh, initially find Theta Healing? Uh, so a, f- a friend of mine, someone who lives in the same city I do in, in New Brunswick, Canada, she's uh, someone I met through a friend. And I think the first time I met her, I went to her home for a, a meditation workshop. First time I had really done any kind of meditation. And so a month or two later, I saw the same person at a local holistic fair and she was giving a free talk about Theta Healing. And it was something that she had just learned herself. And uh, she was very passionate about it and, and sort of did a little demonstration on how beliefs can be changed through this modality and, and fairly quickly in, in a lot of cases. So as I was going through this sort of spiritual awakening period and that modality really resonated with me, then I took a course in, uh, I think it was May of 2013. Yeah. And it's something that was pretty far outside of my comfort zone um, at the time. And I was just kind of going with the flow. Right. And, and uh yeah, and it took me a while to even get used to using the modality on myself. And then I would use it with some clients. You know, I was seeing people while I was doing hypnosis and NLP and timeline therapy. And and it was something that I was a bit hesitant to share with other people because I thought it was just way too out there. Whoa, whoa. I, I didn't think people would accept it. And it was interesting because that was a lot of my own belief system that I had to work through. And... Um, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I've had very few people who've actually said, that's really just not for me. I'm not interested. Um, for the most part, people are pretty open-minded and are willing to give something a try. You know, if they've been struggling for a while with something, then, um, you know, they're open to, they might not necessarily have a, a great understanding of how it works. They just know that it makes them feel better and they can see a difference, you know, when we do the muscle testing sort of pre and post, they can see that a change has taken place. Yeah, so uh, aside from uh, muscle testing, uh, it's one of the rare uh, modalities, I think. Body talk is the only one that I can think of off the top of my head that also uses uh, muscle testing uh, or muscle checking. Um, but also uh, what's uh, unique about theta healing is that it requires some sort of belief in a higher power, in a God, um, so talk about that, why that is so. Well, so theta, it's it's spelled T-H-E-T-A. So theta refers to the theta brainwave mm-hmm. state. So, you know, we have different brainwave patterns when we're at different uh, levels of consciousness. You know, when we're in a really deep sleep, our brainwave pattern looks different than uh, than mine and yours would right now as we're having this conversation, right? So theta or theta delta is considered to be a state of um, deep relaxation. And it's so the, the, the process or the, the modality is named after that state where it's a deep state of learning. So um, hypnosis, people who are in a state of hypnosis or trance are also in that same brave um, brain wave mm-hmm. pattern or brain length pattern. Yeah, so I'm not, I wouldn't call myself an expert in terms of the, you know, the history of theta healing and, and how it was developed. 
Um, I will say that in even the, the founder of the current version, her name is uh, Viana Stiebel. She's a person who um, is a naturopath and, and a healer who is based in the Midwest of the United mm-hmm. States. And um, yeah, so this is something that I, you know, it's a modality that I think um, has ancient origins and it shares it shares some some things with other types of healing methods that are out there. Um, so in Theta, as you said, the the person who is receiving the, the treatment or the healing, basically the only prerequisite is that they have a belief in uh, something bigger than themselves. So, right. so, you know, God can be a very or a fairly loaded term for some people. You know, there are some, um, it can stir up a lot of emotions. And so the term that I use is, well, either source energy or the creator of all that is. And, you know, but other people have other, you know, they prefer to use the term God. So it's really just whatever the client is comfortable right. with. And so in Theta, the practitioner, when the healing actually takes place, it's um, entering into this Theta brainwave pattern in, or meditation and making the request, it's called a command in Theta, of of creator or source to enact a healing on this person. So it's either, um, you know, helping to clear um, negative beliefs from them or showing them how and what it feels like to live their life in a certain way or without a certain emotion. Um, You know, if we've lived our lives with a lot of fear and anxiety and stress, we might not remember what it feels like to live without those things. So before we can clear the fear and the anxiety, uh, the the unconscious mind is going to be, if it doesn't know how and what it feels like to live without that fear and without the anxiety, it's going to be really reluctant to It's going to miss it, basically. And actually, it's going to miss the negative emotion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it, yeah, and it's going to believe that it can't survive mm. without it because it doesn't know how to. So I actually kind of pulled in theta i was talking about how i really just used it for myself and not other clients mm-hmm. but when i was practicing some timeline therapy with a few different people i noticed that either there are five different negative emotions that timeline therapy says are the ones to clear in a particular order so it's anger fear hurt um sadness and grief and so these two people, they would clear the anger, no problem, sadness, no problem. But when we got to fear, these two different friends of mine, it was just this huge resistance, right? They just were not willing, their unconscious mind was not willing to let go mm-hmm. of these old feelings of fear and anxiety. And then when I brought in the the theta, I, you know, it was like this revelation, like, oh, of course, you're not going to be willing to let something go if you don't know who you are without it or you don't remember what it feels like to live without it. So that is one of the the great things about Theta is helping people. And it's it may not even be on a conscious level, but at an unconscious level, which is where the, the changes take place, um, showing them through creator or through source energy or God, how and what it feels like to live their daily life without fear or without anxiety, showing them that it's safe to do mm-hmm. that because there's a reason for all behavior. Like everything has a purpose. So if a person believes 
I need to hold on to this old fear because it's going to keep me safe and protect me from future harm, then you have to show the unconscious mind that it is possible to be safe without it. And they're allowed to let it go and that it's possible to let it go. Sometimes people um, have a belief that it's not possible to live their life in a certain way or to, to live without a certain thing. So, right. Yeah. So need, they need to be open so they can... Uh, um, so they basically they want they want to have to want to change in some way and that's why they usually come to you because they there's a certain uh, suffering in their lives there's, there's something that's not going right and that's when they usually but I, I this just me thinking for the people that's when they would probably like reach out to somebody that they never heard of or the modality they never heard of and be like well maybe I'll give this a go because Everything I'm doing is not working out, so well, maybe I'll try this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on a conscious level, they definitely, as you said, they know that something's not working and they want to make a change. But where it gets tricky is if they don't have agreement from the unconscious mm. side to let it go, because that's where the change really needs to take place. So, yeah, it's... Um, and then... It's something that how to how to get that yeah, is through uh, the process of theta healing to get the unconscious to agree with it. Yeah, I mean there are different modalities. I I'm not somebody who necessarily thinks that there's a one size fits all right. approach and that any particular modality, including theta healing, is going to work equally well for everyone. I think it it does work really well. Um, there are also instances where so i'll do muscle testing or or you know a lot of the work that i do is intuitive so i'll I'll just have a sense or a feeling or i'll hear that you know a certain person might benefit a little bit more from a modality that's a little more interactive like timeline therapy where you are actually asking the client to to do some of the visualization and some of the work um but yeah so okay Uh, talking about interactive we talked about our cat. So what happened was, uh, do, do you want to demonstrate a little bit? And then I'll tell the backstory of what happened with our cat. Uh, sh- okay. Sure. Uh, so let, let's yeah, do a I mean, really short one. I haven't really one. done a reading. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically, uh, we have two cats. So one of them is on my lap right now. Her name is Misha. And the other one, uh, Ginger, is, um, I don't know where she's at, probably downstairs or outside. But um, we had, we started to get an issue when this new one, the younger one came, because the older one is like almost 10 years old, and the new one is like six months. And ever since uh, Misha came about two or three months ago, the new cat has been out of sorts and, uh, and grumpy, especially with me. I don't know about my grandparents, but maybe she... She's taking on a bigger resentment towards me or something. I know cats are very uh, uh, intuitive and stuff. And they can also see the change in behavior in me, I guess. So just for for the sake of uh, sh- a short demonstration, I guess, what well, we can pick up. <laughs> you wanted to do some work on Ginger? Yeah. Yeah. So when you mentioned the other day... Well, a few things. When we talked the last time, you you mentioned something about there were other people living in the home who aren't there now. And when I asked you about the cat's name, 
you said, well, you didn't really have a name for her, but your sister used to call her Ginger. True. And so right away, what I was hearing is that um, Ginger was feeling uh, abandonment and a sense of grief, right? So for her, there's there's a lot going on. There's There's the issue of feeling displaced by this new cat and feeling, you know, unwanted and unloved because the people who used to be around and used to care for her and, um, you know, have a relationship with her, um, that she feels is no longer there. So, yeah. So she's, she's, uh, dealing with some, with multiple issues. Okay. So she's, uh, she's, uh, feeling abandonment, not just what happened now, but also through the years as people moved out of the house and she feels like, uh, there's, really nobody been there other than my grandparents basically hmm interesting mm-hmm. yeah yeah that that would make sense so then um with theta healing what when you have let's say the i guess uh through me i guess ginger is the client so <laughs> right <laughs> what what do you do then to to uh ginger um to to quote unquote fix the problem or make it mm-hmm. go away <laughs> Yeah, so it, because you are, you know, for all intents and purposes, her owner, uh, you are acting on her behalf in terms of free will, because that's something what we talked about mm-hmm. free will a while ago, but but that's something that is very central to Theta. So, you know, while I, I might be able to do a reading on someone, um, no changes or, or healings are done without the permission of that person. And it can be, sometimes it's a little repetitive to keep asking the person over and over for permission to show them something or right. heal something or have something removed. Um, but when working with pets, you know, we, we get the permission from the owner. So what I would do with Ginger is to um, to ask Creator to clear. So she has some shock and some trauma. There's some cellular trauma there. Uh, clear any frozen energy that might be going on for her, resolve any unresolved issues. So really, we really want to show Ginger from the perspective of source or creator, um, show her creator's truth and perspective about the situation, about what's going on here and show her because, and that happens for all of us, that mm. our mind it gives meaning to things um, or assigns meaning, it doesn't mean that it is the truth in terms of, you know, capital T, source truth, um, or universal truth, but we kind of create our own meaning on our own truth. So um, a lot of times just having, you know, a download of, of truth from the perspective of creator can really help sh- things shift. So just to show her uh, creator's truth and perspective about you know, about what's going on, about, you know, the, the people who've come and gone and the reasons why they've come and gone and whether or not those reasons have anything to do with her and, and just to kind of show her, you know, the role that others have played in her life and the role she's played in theirs. And then we want that truth to match her own. Mm-hmm. And then so, do you go into a, like, yeah. um, when you do theta healing, do you go into um, like a, a sort of a meditative state where you your brain waves then go into a theta state? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So part of the the learning process of Theta, and you don't have to take a course to learn Theta. Um, there are books out there that have been written by Anna, by Viana, and she explains uh, how to get into that that state, and she calls it going up to the 
to the seventh plane of existence. So theta refers to the mul multiple planes of existence. Right now we're on the third plane, but the creator of all that is, um, that uh, you know that energy resides on the seventh plane of existence. So she leads uh, practitioners into how to get there. And so the first few times that you do it, you know, there's it's sort of a multi-step process. But then when you're when you're used to being in that state, um, now it's it's basically just setting an attention. So you know, I know my unconscious mind knows that. Okay, now we're gonna do some theta healing. So it's it's almost like being in that state instantly. Okay, so you kind of like by repetition, you've uh, you've kind of trained yourself to just be there right away. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Very interesting. Yep. Mm hmm. So with with Ginger, you know, we I talked a little bit about you know what we would show her, but then we would also want to. Um, you know, show her <laughs> creator's definition of forgiveness because she's holding on to resentments right now. Um, well, hold on, hold on. So, or something. so even yeah. a, even an animal is capable of holding on to resentments like that. Sure. Okay. Why not? I mean, you have you? I, I'm not that I'm an expert on crows, but I've you know heard news articles or or heard about research studies where. Um, you know, crows are, they're realizing are highly intelligent and they've actually done studies where, um, you know, I think it was on a university campus. They had, you know, people who were sort of not that nice to crows. Like they, they actually put a mask on the, um, the researcher and, <laughs> you know, they would, they would have this person go out and just, you know, not that they were injuring the crows, but they were just like, not very nice. And so then the different people will go out wearing this mask and then they realize that the crows recognize that person and, you know, they were, they were uh, holding on to, you know, this, it wasn't like, oh, it's a new day. We'll give this person a fresh start. It was like, no, they were starting from the place of this person's a jerk right. and uh, you need to be on your guard and watch out for that person. Right. So, yeah, it's, um, I think animals, you know, they we're realizing every day and even plants are sentient beings like everything has an energy to it and yeah so we might not realize um you know the level of um awareness or consciousness that animals have but they they definitely have a consciousness. so if plants also have a consciousness then vegans also killing life then you're saying <laughs> <laughs> You said that I didn't. Say I, that. I this reminds me when I was in Scotland. Um, I think there was a guy that told me that uh, crows uh, have a resentment for not just uh, one generation but several generations. He told me, and I was like, "Man, <laughs> I think you are exaggerating." But um, you, now, you, now we're getting into epigenetics, <laughs> and that's that's a fascinating, actually a fascinating uh, topic of of uh, study. It's really interesting to see how trauma can get passed down from generation to generation oh the there we go it's just it just seems like uh such a almost like a scottish thing to do to hold on to something for generations <laughs> <laughs> anyway um okay so now you're gonna get the scots on yeah, your uh hey I, I love the scots i lived there many years <laughs> um but you know so we're talking about animal consciousness and right, right, right. And... So um, going going back to Ginger is uh, she's so she's resenting basically that she's been um, not treated well, that she's not been treated well, and uh, that 
that people have come and gone, mostly gone in the past few years, and that she's been kind of alone. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you would uh, you would clear that by asking. Well, you have also already the permission from the owner, me, and then you would, uh, uh, with God's help, basic or with source help, basically remove the uh, the emotional debris, as it were. Yeah, and show her, you know, the truth about why those people left and whether that actually had anything to do with her or not, and um, you know, so showing her how to. Well, with resentments in particular, a lot of times it's around what we're trying to learn, the lessons we're trying to learn. And sometimes we think that we can't keep or hold on to those lessons or retain them unless we also hold on to the resentment. So it's a process of helping the person or in this case, Ginger, um, understand, you know, what is it that she was trying to learn through this experience and showing her that it's possible for her to have those learnings and retain them without holding on to the resentments toward others. And then definitely showing her how and what it feels like to live without, um, you know, the feelings of grief, feelings of abandonment, and, yeah. Hmm. Would you be willing to do that now, or should we just continue on? Um, we can. I mean, I, I can. It's just, it doesn't make for good uh, podcasting okay. audio, right. I guess. Because it's, it's me basically closing my eyes and going into that state of state and, and actually, this is a good segue, though, because we haven't really talked about... We talked about the healing while being in the theta state, but we... And I kind of referenced, you know, making a, a command or a request of, of that energy, source energy or creator, to, to make a shift or a change. But... So it's not the person, as the practitioner, or me in this case... I'm not the one doing right. the healing, right? I'm I'm just a witness. So I am witnessing in my mind's eye the change happening. And that's what creates the healing. So again, I am not an expert in quantum physics, but it's it's about the observer effect. So for a ch- you know, a change to happen, um, there has to be an observer. And so in theta healing, the practitioner is observing or witnessing the healing taking place in the mm. mind's eye. So, and the process mm. you described for for Ginger, the cat, would also be the same for any person. It's just that every step of the way, you'd ask the person for uh, for permission to integrate these changes, correct? Yes, mm. exactly. Well, yeah. um, I, I was always wondering why, because um, there's a lot of uh, alternative healing modalities, why they aren't so popular in, especially in industries where there's a lot of money, like um, professional sports and stuff like that. Is there a stigma against this? Because um, I, in my early days when I researched uh, theta healing, I saw that it's possible theoretically to to heal a bone in a in a day. Or within minutes, right? Because in professional sports, a lot of times what happens is somebody will break his leg or whatever, and this will be devastating because they'll be out for, you know, for almost a year or more. So um, it's it's quite a it's quite an important thing, and I I don't understand why professional sports don't uh, try anything more alternative, as it were. Hmm. That's a really good question. I think it would be a pretty big leap right. from from where they are now to 
you know, sort of widespread acceptance of an energy healing modality like theta healing. I think we're starting to see very small shifts. You know, there's a whole industry of sports psychology and you'll hear about in particular um, Olympic athletes talking about visualizing and using their mind and, and sort of rehearse mentally rehearsing over and over and over the perfect performance. And that those are the people who do really well in their sport. Uh, I just think there's just not a, a widespread acceptance in the community mm-hmm. for things like hypnosis or, you know, if we can't, it's almost like there's a built-in bias in, in medicine and science that if it's not physically observable and measurable, it's hocus pocus or it doesn't exist or, but what's really interesting, I was just listening to something on CBC radio yesterday about um, hypnosis and this person who, it really wasn't the focus. It was sort of a, a documentary series about just interesting short stories. And so this this person who is a hypnotist, um, I think in Toronto, he was um, hired, and this is years ago, he was hired by Iraqi, um, I guess almost like they're either diplomats or secret service or something, to go and treat a patient in Iraq. And so this mm. man who is the hypnotist, he didn't really follow current events, he didn't listen to the news, and so he really he knew nothing about like where he was going or the person he was treating. It ended up that he was treating one of the adult sons of Saddam wow. Hussein. Um, yeah, Uday Hussein. And he really didn't know much about this person until afterwards, right? He just thought, okay, this is my client. But what's interesting is um, Uday had had some type of uh, injury to his leg. I think it was like multiple gunshot wounds. And he had been treated medically for months and his doctors said there was nothing medically wrong with his leg, but he, he um, felt pain, couldn't put pressure right. on it. He What's felt that? pain. Yeah. Like he just, he felt pain. He couldn't, he couldn't function. So this, this man who was the hypnotist, he, um, spent, he did hypnosis sessions for 10 days with, you know, one-on-one with Uday Hussein. And by the end of the 10th day, you know, he, the issue was resolved. He was walking <laughs> normally didn't have to use his cane or his crutch anymore so you know it's yeah like the power there is there are things like instant healings and you so you talked about reading about uh, theta and that is actually sort of the origin or the genesis this person uh, viana she she was really into healing work in terms of the physical Mm -hmm. body um and that there are lots of people out there who use theta in that way. And there's a whole course called um, intuitive anatomy. So there are people who are medical intuitives and um, they use these techniques to affect change and heal the body. Right, right. It's just when you said that uh, they, they judge uh, things by what they can measure, I'm thinking if, if there would be just one example of uh, um like let's say even a famous uh guy in sports let's say uh let's say for the sake of argument that uh, lebron james broke his leg and that you know everybody would see that obviously and then 
if you went to a theta healer, uh, let's say, and that theta healer restored the, the bone in one day, and then LeBron would be out, you know, would be cleared to play, but the medical staff the next week and cleared to play again, I think people would start scratching their head and be like, what the hell is going on? And then, you know what would happen then is that other people would then, other organizations around the NBA would start copying. It wouldn't just be NBA, it would be other. And so I think in in a sense, it all it takes is one example, a high profile example, and then other people are inevitably going to start to emulate that or try to emulate the same results, you know? Maybe. Um, I think through the years, there have been lots of cases, not just with theta healing, of spontaneous healing or spontaneous remission. And I remember a few years ago, now I can't remember the name of the author, but she was a medical doctor. And she actually wrote this whole book about spontaneous healing. And the fact that, you know, it's really hard, even within her own profession, to get people to recognize the legitimacy of those healings. So, you know, we've probably seen or heard of different examples of people who've, you know, cured themselves of cancer or they've had tumors that have gone into remission. And it's, there's not really a widespread acceptance of those. It's sort of like they're just treated as one-off right. anomalies, but, but things are changing and, and I think things are shifting. And I think even just the fact that over the last several years, just conversations that I have with people, people I know, um, who don't, don't get me wrong, there are still lots of skeptics, but I just find more and more people are open and receptive to information about, you know, uh, what's out there beyond what we can sense with our traditional senses. Right. I just think that uh, a lot of people are very willing to say that if somebody has cancer and then then it goes miraculously goes away that somehow is it was misdiagnosed but it's a lot harder to do with right. with a bone though it's broken and then be like you that's know true. oh it was never broken come on man <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true yeah, th- yeah that's a whole nother level of skepticism to say it was never broken well you actually saw the bone being broken so Anyway, um, I also wanted to ask you about the, uh, you you mentioned the third plane of existence and that there's seven planes. Um, I've had some guests say to me that uh, we're uh, we're changing dimensions. Is this the same thing or is this something different? That's, it's something different. So in theta, so yeah, so going back to what you were talking about, so we're in this third dimensional reality. Um, some people, you know, there's this all this talk about moving to the fifth dimension. Yes. Um, and I'm certainly not an expert in any of those. I just think that, um, yeah, I mean, I find it very interesting in terms of fifth dimensional living. And it's not necessarily a place where we will, um, you know, like be transported to. It's more just reaching a state of consciousness where we're more expanded and open and we have different abilities maybe than we do in this third dimensional plane. So I I understand it is a bit confusing to talk about the 3D or third dimension versus 
the third plane of existence. So uh, just to give you some examples in theta, the idea of um, the first plane of existence is things like rocks. Okay. <laughs> like very basic, right? Um, the second plane is the elements. So ele and included, like that's kind of nature and, and plants or and trees. That's all part of the second, second plane of existence. Um, that's where you would find elementals, which, uh, and again, this is something that, you know, um, people may have strong feelings about, but... Um, like crystals or something? Being open to... Well, crystals would be part of, of the first plane, um, but elementals meaning like fairies and gnomes oh. and other sort of creatures or entities that um, are non-human, but live and reside within the third plane, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So the third plane of existence are, you know, that's kind of us, that's people. Um, the fourth plane, that's where when people um, make a transition from, from this lifetime, they go to the fourth plane. And that's where a lot of the, the planning around, um, you know, coming back and learning lessons and all do, of that do stuff you that think do you think place. there's a heaven or hell or do you think because uh, uh, i'm a believer that, that that dante might have been right and there's different levels of heaven or hell you know kind of like the inferno <laughs> anyway that's my theory yeah. that's my i don't know well what do you think i yeah so i don't i don't really believe in hell I think that it is, you know, there's hell on earth. It's, hell is what we create for ourselves sure. in terms of our beliefs. Um, yeah, so in terms of heaven, I don't see it in terms of the, you know, the, the version that's, that's preached by Christianity and other religions. Um, I just see them as other, <laughs> other planes of existence, other places we go. So, the fourth plane is, like I said, it's kind of that way station where, um, you know, people or where people make their transitions. So the souls kind of hang out there and decide, am I going to continue learning? Am I going to keep going back? And then there's the fifth plane of existence, which is kind of like, I guess, if you want to use the term enlightenment, it's like, you know, we don't have to keep coming back and right. learning lessons. So. On the fifth plane, that would be where your ascended masters hang out. It would be, you know, angels. There could be other entities that people might think are not beneficial or not quote unquote good. They might hang out there as well. well wait, on the fifth plane as well. That uh, mm -hmm. that makes it confusing. So it means means there's enlightened beings there, but also the the, the beings that are kind of fallen angels, as it were. But it's still on the fifth plane. Oh. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I don't know so much about enlightenment and I, I think in in terms of spirituality that's what a lot of people are striving towards. But if you listen at all to Abraham Hicks, you know, Abraham will talk which is a collective collection mm -hmm. of entities or beings and they talk about there is no destination called enlightenment. It's basically being plugged into source energy, right? And that it's not it's not like um it's not like you're home free like like it's not like you get a badge saying I'm enlightened and then you're enlightened forever. It's being connected to all that is and being tuned into who you really are and that is enlightenment and 
and that we can have that you know here in our physical bodies we you know there's only so much of us that's here anyway right the greater part of us is elsewhere. how, how is that so right? the it's... greater part meaning the soul right so most of the soul is resting there's more of our energy there's more of our energy oh. outside of our body than inside of our body right well depending on your belief system okay um and then the sixth plane is what the sixth plane is apparently again not okay. an expert and i don't speak i don't speak for vianna it's, Stiebel, it's but okay you can speak the sixth for yourself plane of existence are the <laughs> it's the uh this is yes. my understanding of it is it's the plane of universal laws mm -hmm. so the law of music the law of mathematics the law of attraction whatever it's it's sort of um yeah okay and the last one that is uh the the plane of the creator of all that is so the seventh plane is sort of like oh it's yeah. god okay there you go mm -hmm. um yeah i also want to touch upon um something that i think you prescribed to me a few times which is a spiritual practice called um honopono i think it is it's a hawaiian yeah, practice so right Yep, it's called Ho'oponopono. So pono in um, the Hawaiian language means to make right. So ponopono is to, to really make it right. So Ho'oponopono is something that's actually an ancient Hawaiian practice and tradition, and it's been modernized over the years. So in the past, it used to be something that was um, practiced by the kahunas, which would be kind of like priests of the, the huna um, religion or system of spirituality. And it was used mostly, almost like a kind of mediation uh, between families, either within a family or between right. different families. It was a practice that was, it was kind of like reconciliation or mediation. And then in the last, I don't know, well, in the last century anyway, there's been a sort of a modernization of Ho'oponopono in, in shifting it from something that was performed externally by kahunas and something that could be performed by individuals. And what's really interesting about the more modern uh, versions of Ho'oponopono is going back to this idea of us creating our own reality. Right. And so the, the person who sees something in their world, whether or not they think it's external to them, the idea is, well, somehow I've created this reality, so I am taking responsibility for shifting it. And so there are you know different versions or different prayers that can be used, um, but the one that's kind of more most popular, today is it's almost like a, a short meditation mm -hmm. it's just repeating four phrases over and over and the there's not really a, a set way or or method of saying them um but it you know it's as long as they're all included it kind of works so it's um i love you i'm sorry please forgive me thank you i think i usually start with I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love mm -hmm. you. So you are 
you're really speaking to the divine within. So you are, it's basically asking for a self-healing, right? So whatever it is that you're seeing in your environment, whether it's in you personally, whether it's in a relationship you're having with another person, it's you are, you know, you are saying to the divine, I'm sorry that I've, I've created this situation. Please forgive me. And, and then showing gratitude. Thank you. I love you. And, um, yeah, there's some really interesting, um, benefits that can come from that. And what's really great about it is you don't need any special training. It's, you know, it's free. Anybody can do it. It's, um, yeah, it's something that it's, um, it can bring a lot of peace. It's a, it's a free method. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's something that is easy to learn and anybody can do it. So you don't need a mediator and which is really something that's amazing, right? So a lot of these techniques that, that I was talking about, you know, modalities that I practice, those are things that, you know, I've, I've made investments in training and I've uh, learned different techniques and I've kind of apply them to other people and to myself. But the beauty of Ho'oponopono is that it's anybody can do it. And, and they are the, just like with Theta, you are the healer, you know, you and, and through source energy, you're, you're performing mm-hmm. the healing. But unless you've done the training yourself or, or read about it, you're kind of relying on a third party to help mediate that process. But with um, Ho'oponopono, you are in the driver's seat. Talk about, because um, you mentioned hypnosis before, talk about the... How would you compare theta healing to hypnosis? Because it seems in some way that they're similar. Because you work on belief systems, you work on uh, subconscious uh, things, and this is something that uh, hypnosis deals with. And it seems like uh, theta healing the, can access somebody's uh, subconsciousness without the uh, hypnosis part. So in a way, it may be faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, which part? The yeah, compared to theta healing to yeah. uh, hypnosis. Well, I definitely think it's faster than Mm -hmm. hypnosis. And what I think for me, the major, they are, they're very similar, but in addition to being uh, more efficient or quicker with hypnosis, you are relying on a hypnotist to work with your unconscious mind and provide, um, direction to provide you know the the instructions on the change to be made whereas in theta you're you're making a request or a command of of a universal source energy to yeah so i guess if i were to compare the two you know hypnosis is limited to um limited to the skills of the hypnotist and Theta is really rely. It's drawing on universal energies, so it's similar but really. Different. But wouldn't uh, also the theta healer, the skills of the theta healer, be uh, come into play somewhat? They definitely do, and but again, I feel like in theta, the practitioner is more like they're more like a radio receiver. They're receiving information. Mm-hmm because it is intuitive and theta really opens up people's intuitive abilities, their psychic abilities. Um, so the theta healer has to be an open channel and has to be clear. 
and has to make sure that their own stuff isn't interfering with that process. But it's, it's kind of like channeling energy. And whereas in hypnosis, it's completely different. It's you're relying 100% on the skill and the, um, I guess, the creativity of the hypnotist in terms of the set of instructions that they're going yes, to be giving. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, I remember when we did the courses, it, we'd get the text. and uh, But after a while, you were expected kind of to work without the text and just kind of uh, uh, do it freestyle. Mm-hmm. And I, I always find that to be very interesting because it can go into many different directions. And... Uh, and that's where you kind of see how somebody with a lot of practice can become better and better. Obviously, the yeah, usually sure. the more practice you get in something, the the better you get. Unless your training was bad from the get go, then <laughs> <laughs> right. True, but it's it's interesting. Even though I don't use hypnosis regularly anymore, there are still lots of techniques we learn from um, Georgina that I do use, and and I find that some of those techniques are really helpful for acquainting people with their own unconscious mind because for a lot of people who are coming in it's completely they're completely unaware of their broader Mm. self and unaware of of who they are at an unconscious level so one thing i don't know if you were in one of the courses you must have been because i think we were all in both the same courses together but this technique where she you know taught us how to have clients imagine um, jars on a shelf and they have labels on them with different negative emotions, right? I use that all the time with people. And it's really amazing for them. It's almost like a little warm-up activity I'll do with them. And I I introduce it as getting, you know, having them get to know their unconscious mind a little bit. And they're really amazed at how much negative emotion they're holding Can you to. just walk me through it and, and we'll just do a short demonstration? I think we, I know what you mean, but I'm not quite 100% sure. Sure. So, so I'll just kind of walk you through it as, as though I were walking a client mm-hmm. through it. So um, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to imagine a row of shelves on a wall. It could be in the room you're sitting in. It could be a wall in your mind. And I have my eyes closed. And... It's probably easier to do it with your eyes closed. Sure. So if you want to get into that state Mm -hmm. right now and maybe just take a deep breath. And let that go. And take another deep breath. And relax. Good. So I want you to find that wall. And imagine there are rows of shelves on that wall. And the shelves contain glass jars. They can be any shape or size, but you should be able to see into the jar. And each jar has a label on it of a different negative emotion. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to tune into your unconscious mind and to get a sense of how full each of those jars are. And so we're going to be asking your unconscious mind to rate the level of different negative emotions that you are holding on to in your body or in your energy field. And it's not necessarily how you feel today, but we want your unconscious mind to give us a rating of over the course of your lifetime, how much unresolved emotion are you holding on to? 
And the jar is a way for us to gauge that level of emotion. So I'm going to ask you to rate on a scale of 1 to 100 how full those jars are. So for some people, they might see a number on a board, like a whiteboard or a chalkboard. Some people might hear a number in their head. Some people might see the jar and, and kind of eyeball it and say, well, it looks like it's 50% full or maybe it's overflowing. Maybe you have two jars and they're both full. So it's not about trying to determine on a conscious level, but it's just getting out of the way and allowing that information to float up from the unconscious level. So are you ready to give that a try? Sure, let's go. Okay, good. So just taking another deep breath. That's right. So I want you to find the jar marked anger and tell me on a scale of one to a hundred, how full is that jar? 40 something percent, 45. Good. So the jar marked sadness. How full is that jar? 63. Okay, good. And just remember, your unconscious mind knows exactly how full <laughs> these jars are. So you can just yes. relax and let go. And just let that information float right into your conscious mm. awareness. So next, I want you to find the jar marked frustration or frustrated. And tell me, how full is that jar? Uh, it appears to be quite full. Um, <laughs> see my analytical mind right now because I'm, I'm, I'm aware that we're on the show. So anyway, yeah, anyway. That's okay. Let's that's just yeah, that's a quick example. Let's let's end it there. So, yeah. That's okay. I wasn't really gonna cover right. too many more. But so on that list, you know, Georgina had given us a list and I think I've added a few more and it's just really interesting to see. And then and then I would end off uh, by asking the person, you know, are there any jars that uh, you know, if they look around, are there any other jars that they notice whose names I didn't mm -hmm. mention? And um yeah, it's just kind of an opportunity for them to to fill in some blanks it's it's a really good technique to um because i used to do this and uh, i used to do a thing called the twirl which was my favorite which was a kind of um uh, you get uh, if i remember correctly it was like it was locating where the pain or the anger or the feeling mm. let's say frustration like locating it on the body yeah and then um yep. making it a twirl like making it uh solid twirl that goes out of the body and then adding some joy and happiness in it and then putting it back mm -hmm. in i remember doing that with some of my co-workers in um in my security job <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah that was fun that was fun people people usually mm -hmm. have, uh, experience some uh, good things um yeah mm -hmm. i i do think uh tita healing and uh uh, hypnosis they have similarities but they also they're very different and um, my point of view is uh, very pragmatic so whatever works whatever uh, yields results that certainly uh, can be used and is beneficial unless it hurts other people or it For has sure. some other unforeseen negative consequences but this doesn't seem to so very good um, so um, if people uh, what, so what kind of uh, sessions do you do if people want to reach out to you? 
Well, I do in-person sessions, but I also do sessions over um, Zoom or over the phone, either one. It's really interesting. I uh, I find even just over, you know, a non-video call, uh, it's it's almost like, it sounds funny, but it's, it's easier to get to a, a deeper level because you're not conscious of looking at right. yourself on a video, you know, you're just... You're just kind of there with the person. Your energies are there, but you're, yeah. It's, it's well, we really used to do it because uh, I used to live in a hostel, so I wouldn't want to be on audio even. So we used to do it on just over text chat, like on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're the only person I've ever done that with. And it does work. It just yes, takes a to little type longer, it out. especially if you're, if you're not quite on the yes, typing. It... Yeah. But no, it's, uh, I love working with with all kinds of people and, and working with them virtually and at a distance. And, and that is one thing that I do like about Theta as opposed to hypnosis. It's, it's a lot easier to do it because the person is consciously aware, right? They're awake when you're working in Theta. Um, so I, I think I only did a hypnosis uh, remote session once and it was quite a long time ago and back when Skype was really not a stable platform necessarily and crashed a lot. And so I had this person in a, a state, you know, tr- trance like state and then we oh lost our gosh. connection. So <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't, I'm not a fan of, of doing hypnosis right. remotely. But, but I think uh, during the yeah. COVID time, a lot of people nowadays, the connections are better. They yes. are doing it and uh, they're finding yes. quite uh, probably good results because also there's no other way a lot of, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they still have to do yeah, no, mental it's... work, like uh, to relieve the suffering yeah. of people, especially now that they're, uh... yeah, well, what advice would you have on people that, because um, uh, some countries are in severe lockdowns. So like, for example, mm-hmm. here in Slovenia, even if you go outside, you're supposed to wear a mask. Now, often when I go right. to the store, because it's so close and it's night, I don't uh, put on a mask until I go inside the store because that's when I, they really want it. But So, mm-hmm. yeah, what can people do in this time when there's um, well, severe restrictions in some countries? Yeah, I would say that uh, it's just like not necessarily from a theta point of view, but just from a mental health point of view, just important to to relax in terms of, you know, doing some meditation, maybe listening to some guided meditations on YouTube, or there are all all kinds of hypnosis sessions on YouTube as well. Um, I think because we are in a state, you know, generally there can be some fear and some anxiety and, and frustration. There's a lot of frustration in people who, you know, we talked about your cat grieving. Well, there are people who are grieving the loss of their livelihoods and the loss of life as they knew it before COVID. So I think it's really important for us to take some time to just clear our minds and, and sort of um, connect with who we are and, and meditate and and also to kind of unplug from the collective consciousness around COVID and, um, you know, to maybe not listen obsessively to reports on <laughs> right. the radio or TV. I know it's hard. It's hard to get away from that. And I would say that, um, you know, there are, I definitely am sort of keeping up with the news now as well. But what, if I'm feeling stressed, then sort of taking a break from that, I think is important. Um, it's important to be informed, but uh, I think it's maybe not necessary to, 
sort of hang on that information on a daily basis, if that makes sense. So uh, where can people find you if they want uh, a session with you or uh, anything like that? Well, um, I have a website. It's uh, www.innerwisdomwellness.ca. <laughs> I picked that name for a very particular reason because I think we all have you know, the wisdom within to, to, you know, we all have our own information inside of us, what we need. Um, but it's, it's a very long, it makes for a long email address <laughs> and a long website. My, uh, I have an email address is Karen at K-A-R-E-N at innerwisdomwellness.ca. I'll and, put the, yeah. the, those two, um, the email and the website underneath the, the YouTube video or the uh, podcasting, wherever the people watch it, uh, I'll put it under so people can contact you. Oh, that's great. For sure. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, <laughs> my website is, it's a little older and it doesn't really have a lot of information on there about Theta because when I created it, I was in that mindset that Theta is a little too woo-woo and uh, people, people might not be ready for that, but I definitely uh, do. That is what the bulk of my right. work I is. I think is uh, now in 2020, people are ready for even more than Theta, so it's okay. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, it's time yes. to update my website. Well, uh, Karen, yeah. it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. So thank you very much for being on. Why, thank you so much. That was a great experience. Thank you. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast.